If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything and everything they like, Just Not Sports. On today's show, we'll trade sports talk for politics in an interview with Deadspin founder and cultural critic, Will Leach. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. Joining me in the studio this week is a leading sports media strategist, former PR guy for the Green Bay Packers, and works with many global sports brands. It's Adam Willard. Adam, how are you? Just fine, Brad. How are you doing? I'm you've jazzed got, to be here. You've got that that Super Bowl season, fatigued look in your eye. You're running on fumes, but you are about to move from cranky Adam to slap-happy Adam. I'm delirious and might say something stupid, which makes for great content, guys. That Woo. does make for great content. Moving away from Adam for a second. Also, Why would you do want to do that? <laughs> also with us on the road this week, our Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, how are you? I'm also into the slap-happy phase of Super Bowl. We all are. We all are. No one wants to hear us complain about working the Super Bowl. All we'll say is there's a reason. Oh, we've officially become working. media members. Oh, my God. We're complaining about the Super Bowl. <laughs> that is such a, unlike, in media. That's, like, such a major thing. Uh, oh, I'm, like, I'm so proud of this really low moment. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I feel tired. I want to cry. I'm complaining about having to be around football players for a week. I'm officially spoiled brat. One time after working the Super Bowl in Dallas with Adam, uh, I was so delirious that I did an entire impromptu improvised dance to the Backstreet Boys um, in front of about 100 people. After driving through Dallas in an ice storm, you were allowed, my friend. You were allowed. After working the Super Bowl in Miami, the one between the Colts and Saints, I'd pulled an all-nighter the night before the Super Bowl working, and then the night after the Super Bowl, uh, my wife was down there. She had come down so we could go to Miami afterwards. I woke up in the middle of the night, went pee, fell asleep on the toilet, and I woke her up as I was trying to walk out through the plate glass window that was the shower door. Oh, Joe, that, that prompted Joe Reed to pick up his mic. So, producer Joe, welcome to the show. What do you have to say to Gary? Oh, I was just laughing. I'm just, I'm just laughing at Gary. Well, wait, I have a better one. So, I uh, one year after a particularly stressful Super Bowl, I um, went to bed on Friday, on a Friday night. I woke up. I, I kind of was starting to come to in the middle of the night. Um, and in my dream, I heard a knocking. And as I my eyes open, I realized that I was standing outside my actual hotel door, knocking on my own door, Weird. having slept walk bare feet into my hall, had to go down to the lobby, and they gave me a key, and the guy at the front desk, feeling so bad for me, said, Sir, I don't want you to feel bad about this at all. There's people who came down here wearing far less clothes this week. <laughs> It's one of those weeks, man. If we, hold on. If I could actually share a quick – it was my second week on the road working in the NFL, and I was in a hotel. And, you know, that's like, – like, it's fun to complain about work, and I don't want this to degenerate into, like, Peter King's Starwood Points Hour. But, you know, like, B.B. King always used to say, I'll play the shows for free, but they pay me to travel. 
So the travel is a hard part of the job. I think we're sort of that. Uh, it's okay to complain about that a little bit. So, but I'm really young. It's my first couple weeks on the road, and I'm still enjoying it. There's it's like three thirty in the morning on a Saturday night before a game on Sunday, and there's a knock at my door. I get up to answer it, and there's this beautiful woman there. I'm in my boxers, and she just looks at me and laughs. She just goes, ah, "Wrong room," and leaves. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, Super Bowl week. Well, it's almost over for another year, so just keep your head up. Uh, all right. Well, want to get into the crux of our intro here. We love when our listeners interact with us. We we call them all beautiful, unique sparkle ponies. In the words of Chris Cluey, the man, the great man who provides the theme song for this show. And I want to thank all the people subscribing to the show on iTunes and leaving us comments there. So we're gonna give a special shout out to a comment. From PNADS, spelled NADS with a dollar sign for an S. Sure. He says, great podcast. Seriously, Brad is awesome. Now, two things. My name is spelled with two dollar signs. So, PNADS, (laughs) you really got to do a spell check on that. (laughs) And second, thank you, Joe Reed, for writing that. You will now get paid for this week. Oh, good. I can't take credit for it. Do we know who that is? Uh, I, I was gonna say, guys, let's not make all of our comments from us. Like, <laughs> yeah. if someone outside of us actually did make a comment, let's enjoy that. All right, moving on. Uh, you know, on this show, we don't just invite people on; we publicly shame them until they join the show. We call this slamming the hammer. Gareth, who do you want to slam the hammer to this week? Uh, in honor of the Will Leach interview, I'm really sorry I missed it. I actually have two quick hammers. One is for in honor of Will Leach's favorite team, the Buzzsaw. The Arizona Cardinals. I want to invite on the greatest Cardinal of all time, man I've worked with before with a huge personality, Dan Deerdorf. And I want to talk to him about, Brad, you're in my great home state of Ohio, where he is from. And the other one is, in Brad, you were a noted film critic in Illinois. Will Leach is a noted film critic from Illinois. I would like to, or St. Louis or whatever, but either way, I would like to talk to Larry Izzo, former Patriot and Giant coach, about his taste in independent film. He loves that stuff. We always used to interview him when I worked with the Patriots, and he has great taste in movies. Those are my hammers. Nice, nice. Uh, Adam, who you want to slam the hammer on this week? I would like to get Linda Lee Caldwell on the show. That okay. is Bruce Lee's widow. Um, I'm curious, I really, I don't know that it's a personal interest of hers, but I would like to get her perspective on what Bruce, and to a lesser extent Brandon, would think about where martial arts has gone. So, I think the UF, I think UFC is both the best and the worst thing to happen to martial arts, um. I think the perception of the USC athlete is terrible, but in terms of competition and actual evolution of martial arts, it's been great. Uh, I'd like to hear what she thinks about um, still an ever-increasing rise of what I call McDojos, these places where you can go in and get a black belt in two years. Um, I got mine online. Right. You can also <laughs> buy one for $5 at any martial arts supply store or Amazon. Um, so I'd like to hear what she thinks about that. That said, I know her family, they still make money off 
Bruce Lee merchandise. They did a partnership with Under Armour, and Bruce Lee actually was in um, last year's EA Sports UFC game. So I think um, there's obviously some favorability in marketing sports and in, in Bruce Lee, but I'd be curious to think. I'd be curious to get her thoughts on what her husband might think about the way martial arts has evolved as a martial arts practitioner myself. We can also ask her about the crow and whether they should have digitally put Brandon Lee back in that movie. Right. I think she'd love to talk about that, don't you? We'll probably skip that. I think we'll run out of time. Okay. But you can ask her if you'd like, Brad. I will. I will. You get her on. We'll see what happens. Uh, My hammer, I'm slimming it down to Colts, Punter, Pat McAfee. I honestly can't remember if I've done this one or not yet. I feel like we talked about it. I can't remember if it was on the air or not. So Sparkle Ponies, if we have, call me out on it on Twitter. Pat is a stand-up comedian. He has been on, like, the Bob and Tom show. He's done stand-up performances. Now that the Colts season has come to an untimely end, he's hitting the road, baby. So here's the deal, Pat. I want you to come on. I'm not saying you have to debut all your new material. I don't want you to blow everything. But I think it would be great to talk about his process. I'm a big fan of stand-up going back to my entertainment days, just about the, the, you know, the way guys come up with sets and that kind of stuff. And I'm also really curious to see what his plans are for the road and if he's – if he's, you know, feeling good about going up and, and getting out of his comfort zone around Indianapolis. So let's do this thing, man. I'm game. And I'm hilarious, too. Adam you, tells me every day. You are. <laughs> maybe. Mainly just to keep the peace. Yes, but, maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. All right, you got someone we should talk to. Email us at justnotsports at gmail.com or tweet us at justnotsports. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. Long-form interview today with Will Leach. Adam and I were on the phone with Will. Gareth, unfortunately, had to bow out for work. But I think you're really going to enjoy it. We're talking politics, talking the art of being a political junkie, talking this year's election, and, of course, talking Trump. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Oh, now look here, my boy. It's about to start. Fill it, my boy, with the sound of your heart. Make it go boom, shala. Our guest today is Will Leach. Will is one of the most prolific and versatile writers working today. You may know him from his sports writing for Sports on Earth, or you may know him for his film criticism at the New Republic, or you may know him as the founder of Deadspin, or from New York Magazine, or from his podcast, The Will Leach Experience, or from any of his nonfiction or fiction books. So clearly, we could go a million different ways with this conversation, but we've decided to focus on Will's personal interest in politics. He's currently gearing up to cover the 2016 presidential election for Bloomberg. So, Will, welcome to the show. And how excited are you to get to Iowa ASAP? You know, I'm I'm a native Midwesterner, a Central Illinois guy. So I live in Athens, Georgia now. So I have to say, I'm really looking forward to the cold. I kind of miss it. It gets down to like 50 here, and people are going to lose their minds. So I'm ready. Yeah, I am ready to get down to like some five degree freezing caucus goers in Des Moines. I, I'm I'm pretty I'm I'm undeniably amped about. It. I, I can't lie. Can we do out? A, can we do maybe a work swap where you come to the Midwest and we spend some time in Georgia because we do not miss the cold here in Chicago. 
<laughs> it's worth noting, I don't live in the Midwest full time anymore. So it becomes charming to me. I lived in New York for 13 years. And so and I moved to Athens about two years ago with my wife and kids. And now when I go back to New York, all the things that destroyed my soul about New York are just really charming. I'm like, oh, there's a man excreting on the subway. You do you, New York. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, Good for you. You do you. You do so. you. I love that. Um, well, I mean, we know you're gearing up to, to cover Iowa. I want to start with and there's a lot I hope to unpack with you um, because I think this is one of the more fascinating um, pre-election years um, than I can recall. The, but Iowa and and just as we get into primary season, is it is it a good thing that these these random states tend to set the agenda for the political discussion we're about to have as a nation, or do you find that leading with what randos in Iowa and New Hampshire think is maybe not the best way to start a, a, a productive national conversation. You know, I kind of like it because our political system is weird anyway. The Electoral College really doesn't make a lot of sense. And, right. uh, you know, I, I, at a certain level, you know, there's a, a political theory that I kind of agree with and I kind of don't. I think it's, uh, I guess, which is uh, what theories are, uh, that, you know, the, you proved that you are capable of being president by going through this ridiculous process of running for president. And it's insane what we what we put people through. Only a, a crazy person would put themselves through this, which may result uh, explain why some of the people who run for president end up running for president because they're insane. <laughs> yes. But uh, on a lot of levels, you know, it trains you to be able to react quickly, to be able to think long term, be able to do several things at once. And what I like about Iowa and New Hampshire is. You know, it tells you a lot about like these are such different kind of things. You know, it's a more even. Uh, you know, I was a for the Republican side is a more evangelical. Uh, you have to worry about corn subsidies and so on, and, and in a way that you never will when you're president. Yeah, ethanol exactly. And, uh, and then on, on the Democratic side, Iowa is more. It's more like New Hampshire on the Republican side. It's kind of weird and independent, almost even a little bit liberal. Whereas on the on the Republican side, New Hampshire ha- requires an entirely different set of skills than than Iowa does. You have to be able. It's more independent thinking. It's more. Uh, it's more libertarian. It, but there's also this weird, you know, motorcycle part to New Hampshire. It's like a fascinating thing, and I like that because I feel like. You know, watching, I think a key thing to learn about a person that's going to be a president is how they handle A, being challenged, B, talking to people that they would not ordinarily associate with and don't, don't, <laughs> right. don't know very well because they're their president too. And, and, and so which is why I always love that Iowa corn, the Iowa State Fair is always, just, you know, people pretending to be excited by, stat, by butter statues and all of these things. I, I love that. I think it's actually good. Is it more power than Iowa and New Hampshire should probably have? Yeah, but I would also rather see those states go first than California or New York or Texas. I think it's a good thing, and I think it teaches you a lot about, you know, our politics now has become so, through gerrymandering and through the way that we kind of communicate, has become so people just talking to the people that agree with them. And, and that's all they really have to, just talking. Uh, you, don't, you don't need to try to cross over in a lot of ways. What I like about this is Iowa and New Hampshire are such different states, and they're such different states than everywhere else in the country, that you have to adjust and, and be able to be nimble. And I feel like that tells us a little bit about presidential candidates. Yeah, I, I'm torn because when I think about the political – um, races, I find it fascinating as sort of theater, and I love watching how. To your point, it you know, the 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 campaigns have to 
I guess to to quote like the Politico side of things, like they're they're trying to win the day from a headline perspective, from a a narrative perspective, but they're also sort of, you know, rolling with with a long term strategy too, and and all the different things and and issues and topics they interact with on a local basis, they have to sort of present some sort of a vision to. But in a way, I I wonder, does that just create a fascinating race that ultimately there's no way for a, a a quality policy discussion to exist because you are spending so much time navigating the little mini controversies of the day, as opposed to running around in the old days on a, on the back of us locomotives, just saying your platform to people and educating them about where you stand. It's almost like it's become so push pull that I wonder is the care is the candidates platform just completely secondary now, or am I overthinking it? Uh, I don't know if you're overthinking it. I, I think you may be over romanticizing the path. Yeah, <laughs> that's in true. a way, in a way, I'm that's not sure the Socratic show, debates were ever really happening. Uh, I yeah, think right. certainly now it's harder. Uh, I agree that like it's very, it's much easier because there's so many little news items popping up. It's much easier, easier to concentrate on the smaller things as opposed to the larger policy ideals. On the other hand, I would say that it's true for every single aspect of American culture right now. And right. I, I still think there are more like, listen, you guys, you know, I, I, we're not talking about sports, but the idea of having, I don't know how many in-depth uh, policy-driven sports conversations you guys get to have, but it's really hard to, to, to see yeah. them in there. And I think, I think Trump will eventually come up, so let's just break that seal right now. Let's do uh, it. Start talking about Trump. But I do think that there is an element of, I think a lot of things that frustrate people about Trump that work in politics is less, you know, what he says or what he believes. So I think there's some of that and more that there's really not any actual thinking that goes behind it. And I think that's what really like, you know, this it's very, it's, and whether you agree with Trump, whether you don't agree with Trump, it, just to watch one of his speeches, it's very clearly just, he's just talking. <laughs> he's just talking to you know, ramble about Rosie O'Donnell in the middle of it. Like it's, it's, it's kind of, it just goes off in all these all directions. He doesn't, there's no clear policy papers. There's not a lot. Of, he's just talking. He's entertaining. He, he goes on, he, he basically running this campaign from his kitchen on calling into talk shows all week and then traveling on the weekend. So <laughs> right. I think what's frustrating people about that is, and, and we'll see what happens, but ordinarily Trump is the exception in that everybody else that ever was a president, they have like a policy paper. <laughs> like you actually have to have a backing of these things. You have to, even if sometimes the conversation devolves into stupid things and that, that the, the winning the day, like you're talking about, there's still like, you have to have thought about these issues until Trump. Trump has been really the exception to that. And I think that is why I think it's less about Trump's going to pull the Republican party to the left or, or Trump's going to, uh, I like, if you look at Trump's views, you know, uh, on, on, uh, on Muslims, for example, like I have to say, those issues pull very well with the Republican Party, you know. So right. I think that for the and I'm, I, yeah, it's true, like, and it is, and we you can take from that what you will, but you know, most polling shows that it's it, it maybe not as strong as people Republicans don't feel as strongly as Trump voters do, but you know, that's a popularly polled thing. But so I don't think it's so much the his stances on things that drive a lot of Republicans crazy as much as it is that like he's not playing the game the right way. It doesn't even political game. People, the political game, do whatever you got to do. You, you can you, you do what you can to win, but it's always been everybody at least has a basis of you know understanding what's going on. And, and people that don't have fallen apart. Herman Cain would be a great example. Herman Cain rushed up four years ago and got everybody so excited. And then people looked at, wait, wait, this 999 play makes no sense. <laughs> and this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And he fell apart from that. And I think that is – it will be curious to see – if you could have an entirely only surface level campaign, uh, if Trump wins, uh, I suppose that it'll be the sign that yes, you can. Well, let me ask you because 
I look at Trump's campaign and you hear the narrative of there's a lot of narrative around. Is this a signal for a changing culture or changing attitudes toward politics? And and you can certainly make individual arguments around what his campaign is doing that could support that. I also, though, look at the, the year before the election year, you do have these front runners that are just speaking a polarizing view, whether it's Newt Gingrich four years ago or you mentioned Herman Cain, even like, you know, Howard Dean was dominating the Democratic, um, you know, uh, primaries in the early going with with views that ultimately didn't get anywhere near, you know, the centrist platform that Kerry supported. So are we just seeing a repeat of history or, or what is it about Trump's campaign that you think might be resonating differently? I think that Trump is such a magnetic character. This is what I've never really written about Trump before because I've never really covered politics before. And I really just thought, I mean, I just thought he was a blowhard, a very, uh, frankly, an entertaining blowhard. And I, don't, I may still be correct about that, but uh, I've never really had much reason to write about Trump. So when I started writing politics for Bloomberg this year, I, I was talking to my editor, John Homans, who I worked with at New York Magazine, and we had this whole conversation. I was like, man, it's really hard just for not all of my pitches not to be about Trump. It's just so hard because he does everything so differently, and, he, and he, he's such a unique character in, in a way that I, is, I don't think is necessarily always attractive, but is undeniably addictive for, uh, for writers to write about. New York Magazine actually for a long time had a no-Trump rule. <laughs> they would not write about Trump, not because they like hated him or thought that like he, he was some terrible person. They just they didn't want to cover that in New York. They, they, they felt like Trump right. was a self-contained character in a lot of ways. They have said gotten over that um but so i think that uh i there's two sides of this one i think clearly what he's saying is he's an entertaining guy and he's different and he's unusual you know i covered his rally in mobile alabama this year and everyone i talked to they said that the reason they liked him was because he didn't talk like everybody else. They didn't say he wasn't like every other uh, – they didn't say he doesn't overpromise things like other politicians or he doesn't lie. They said he doesn't talk like everyone. He doesn't talk like Hillary. He doesn't talk about, like Jeb Bush. They said that he talks like a normal person. Now, frankly, I don't know a lot of people that talk the way that Donald Trump does, but I understand what they're saying is that the idea that like it, it feels genuine because it is genuine. So I think there's an appeal there, but I do think, and we'll see, we're about to all vote, so we'll actually give an answer for this as opposed to everyone just sort of guessing and having theories. But I do think that there is, listen, there are so many people running for president on the Republican side. And when Scott Walker dropped out, and Rick Perry did the same thing. The one thing that they said, the first thing they said after thank you for supporting my candidacy, I'm dropping out, was we need other people to drop out of this race. Because that the reason that Trump seems so far ahead is because there are 14 people or 13 or however many are running now yeah. in this race. So his 25 to 30 percent looks massive. And the question is if – we won't really know, but right now, like, you know, he's basically his, he appears to be a very entertaining Pat Buchanan, which is to say, you've got Pat Buchanan boosters and then you've got curious, <laughs> you've got curious people that come in from the outside or maybe we weren't a part of the process before. Now, maybe if maybe that, maybe, maybe that's his ceiling or maybe that's his floor. We don't really know because there's so many people running, but you know, until there are people, until people start voting until people are backing out, you know, if, if you put Trump against a Rubio, if you put Trump against the Bush in a lot of ways, just those two, I would be curious to see who wins. But who, who wins, to be honest, even with someone like Bush, who's, who's run such a terrible campaign and uh, has had such a difficult time. You know, still, I wonder if you actually pulled the entire Republican Party and got rid of everybody else between Trump and Bush. I'm curious who would win that. I'm not sure it's as cut and dry as, it, as saying it's Trump. Trump is obviously far ahead. But if you if, if, if you Rubio drops out, 
How many of those people are going to go to Trump and how many are going to go to Bush? Uh, uh, Christie and all those guys. To me, that's the interesting part. So many of those establishment guys are still hanging in and splitting the vote and, and attacking each other because they all want to win the establishment side. That It's allowed Trump to just his, – his generally steady number, which is – been roughly about 21 22 percent in like iowa new hampshire it's been the same for like four months and it hasn't gone up and it hasn't really gone down we'll see if that's indicative of a uh, of a ceiling or a floor so we'll 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 see but i'll say that uh uh i we'll, we'll let people vote you know we'll let people vote and see what happens but after new hampshire i think there's going to be like four or five people left in this race and i think we'll know pretty quick after that Will, you mentioned the establishment guys being mad at Trump for not playing by the rules. Shouldn't they be mad at the Trump supporters for believing, for for buying what he's selling, which is nothing? There, like As you said, there doesn't seem to be any cohesive strategy. He's just great for TV, and that's enough to get him support so far. Well, there is a weirdness, definitely, to... When Trump said uh, – listen, of all the things that he said, the two things that have had the biggest backlash, one was the John McCain quote, which is uh, – which to me, I have to say, I'm, I'm very new to this political writing business, and I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've been obsessed with politics for a long time, but I'm still relatively new to the to, – you know, I've, I've, I've not been in it long enough to make a bunch of really bad predictions yet. <laughs> so I'm, they're stacking up this year. We'll do that tonight, but, Will. <laughs> yeah, I'm on it. Uh, so, but I, I think like a lot of people, when I saw uh, him call John McCain, like John McCain, like a man who was tortured for years and refused to leave, but he had the opportunity to leave. Just like whatever your politics, I mean, this is this is what we strive for our for people to be, <laughs> and for him to say, uh, "Well, I, I like my politics not to get captured," is amazing. Like that's that's I can't think of a thing that you could say that would be more offensive to an American icon than that, uh, and that didn't hurt him. And then the other thing was, of course, saying that he that that no more Muslims allowed in the country. Which I think was that was. But the thing about that one was that one was really loud. But what Trump was saying, he's not the first human being to say that. What people are reacting to are not Trump saying it. They're reacting to the fact that people are listening. <laughs> the people that are, that there are right, so many right. people that, that 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 his numbers don't fall from that. If Trump said that, and then his numbers collapsed. It would just be, up. Oh, there goes Trump, that idiot. But when Trump says it and his numbers stay steady or even go up, it tells us something about our country. And I don't mean in a majority of sense tells us something about everyone, but it tells us something about a portion of our country that I think a lot of people would rather not believe. Uh, and so I think that's why I think Trump takes that hit. We all say, oh, Trump, he's such a bigot. And, he's all, and maybe that's true and maybe it isn't. Or, but I think what we should really be concerned about, if you are concerned about that, is – Obviously, this is resonating with people. So, yeah, I think that's true, and I think that's frustrating. And there's something about the word establishment that makes it even harder for these guys because there's really no other way to label them. Established. Even though some of these guys, you know, I mean, the idea that Ted Cruz is not considered part of the establishment, he's a senator, for crying out loud. He's worked in Washington for 20 years. Uh, but no one, yeah, right. no one considers him establishment for some which I think speaks to how good of a politician that Ted Cruz is. But, you know, I think that uh, – that just the way the label the establishment is. Who wants to be with the establishment? Blah, blah, establishment. No, I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm not. It's, it's like that great joke that someone had in the in the uh, in the wake of uh, David Bowie's death. Uh, someone joked uh, that somewhere, somewhere, uh, there's a guy uh, uh, qu- quoting a random person saying, "Man, David Bowie really gave me the freedom to be independent and weird and crazy." Said some accountant somewhere. And like that's the point. Right. No one wants to think of themselves as establishment. It's boring. So just the phrase, the establishment, 
makes you like who wants to be for that no we're not going to take it i'll fight down with the establishment even if we don't actually feel that way so it, that just works to trump's, trump's advantage as well the, putting all the establishment is a, is a bad guy in the movie exactly there's a corporation that you that that aaron brockovich takes down you know so right, i think yeah. uh, it's it's kind of a weird way to label but again that's just trump i mean listen another thing that i think shouldn't be discounted about trump you know he He's never – he's really right when he does these little insult things about people, but he always captures something about them that we were all kind of thinking. Calling Jeb Bush low energy, when Jeb Bush dies, low energy is going to be in his obit. <laughs> like it captured something <laughs> about Bush. Like it captured something – whether you like Bush or whether you don't, it captured something about his campaign style and his personality in a way that – Frankly, bullies are always captured, are always like like getting that little yeah. thing that they can they can kind of catch on. He, he said that uh, uh, he said he didn't like Seth Meyers, so I think he's really great. And he said he didn't like Seth Meyers because he stammered too much. And I had never once ever noticed him stammering. And ever since then, I like find myself looking for stammers because that's what bullies do. They, they take <laughs> this little part of you that they can pound at, and that's what they do. And and then Trump has proven himself to be brilliant at that. Yeah, I. <laughs> I don't want to focus too much on Trump. I will say this. Jeb being low energy, there's no way, Will, he's got an exclamation point in his logo, That's right? That's true. Jeb! <laughs> Jeb! Jeb! I mean, Adam and I, our day jobs are in marketing, and so I, I can relate to someone who just thought in a, in a room full of people adhering to groupthink, oh, people won't really associate me with my brother if I just don't, if I just call my, my, my campaign Jeb with an exclamation point. Total fail. The only thing about Trump I want to throw out there is I so badly want at the end of this to be a Trump truther in that to think that he and the Clintons, you know, planned this whole thing. I just find that gives much like the David Stern, did he rig the lottery and somehow reach his hand into a batch of cards and pull out the right one on national TV? I just think it gives everyone too much credit. But how much do you hear on the ground when you talk to people that there is this perception among the Republicans that, oh, th this can't really be be right. Something is amiss. We're, we're, you know, someone's pulling a fast one on us. This is the happening. greatest Andy Kaufman job. Right. Ever. Yeah, well, that would be. Uh... Is that a real is that a real perception? Or no, is it a media invention that's kind of fueled by some people think it's it, it's a setup? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'll put it this way. Um, uh, I find it hard to believe. Like the Trump style of campaigning, frankly, is exactly the type of thing that trips up Hillary Clinton. Like, like I don't know if he's going to get the nomination or not. And I don't think he's going to win. But man, like. Hillary is begging to be Jeb Bush. She's like she is exact like Jeb Bush's weaknesses. Like she's a little stronger of a candidate, and I think she's she's better and she's more polished and she's more ready. But like you know, what what Jeb did was like is what Jeb d did that failed him against Trump was is what Hillary I think will do as well, which is Jeb thought he would go away. Jeb looks like like he's a playground bully. He's gonna make it. He's just gonna yell, and no one's gonna take this guy seriously. And so on. And so Trump just hit him and hit him and hit him and hit him and hit him until he fell. I don't think Hillary's going to take that many hits, but I do think that, you know, Hillary is the thing that Trump does well is what Hillary's kind of weakness is a little bit, which is that, like, even if you like Hillary, there's something about her that is inherently inauthentic. And which is funny, which is always a strange thing that people call politicians, because, of course, Everything about them isn't authentic because they're not actually like that all the time. They're politicians. They're selling something. You guys know this working in marketing. You know, I mean, there there is the real per the the goal of any successful marketing event is to not everything, but you know what I mean is to is to project 
sincerity. It's to project like reality and project this is the way that I am. And it's funny that like, you know, you look at someone, someone like Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton is seen as 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 uh, authentically inauthentic. If that makes sense, like you feel like you know Bill Clinton, right, yep. even if you just think he's bull crapping you all the time. Like you feel like you know him in a way that Hillary, because she's not as good at it, and she feel, she looks uncomfortable campaigning. And an argument could be made is because she's maybe not an insane person, because only an insane person would really like this terrible thing, <laughs> would put themselves through this terrible thing on, on a daily basis. So, you know, I think that I don't know about I have not heard a lot about uh, a conspiracy theory in that regard. Uh, it would be an odd way for Hillary to go about it. And I don't think it's real. I just more like yeah. I was talking about the perception of it. You know, like I think I, I, I do talk to a lot of Republicans who say um, that, uh, you know, Oh, he had to be a yeah. plant. And I'm like, come on. Like, that's giving so much credit to somebody who can't even go through a speech. Yeah, and it's, giving, a it's frankly giving I Hillary mean, too much I, credit. You know, I feel like that's another part. That's another part of, yeah. like, you know, Hillary, she's, I mean, I know the Clintons have been inspiring conspiracy theories for 25 years now or 30 years now. But, like, you know, the, she screws up all the time. For someone that is entirely in control and is very obsessed with that. She screws up all the time. <laughs> and so I think that, uh, I think to be able to yeah, run that, right. it would certainly be uh, a, a weird. Now, it, listen, if, if, if he gets to a certain point and runs a third party campaign, okay, maybe, maybe we'll talk about it a different way. But I, I, uh, I don't see him doing that. Even if he doesn't win the, one of the theories I hear a lot now is, you know, Trump's whole thing is I'm winning. I'm a winner. I win. It's what I do. And, if he loses a couple times, there's a theory that like, not so much that his support will collapse, but he'll just say, forget it. Like in a lot of ways, like, listen, if, if it's funny, because like if Jeb Bush loses this campaign, it keeps going for Jeb Bush, the way this has gone, his political career is over. And he should like, he'll like, it's just, it's, it's no, there's no coming back for that. He got Paul Lintied in a lot of ways. If Hillary loses, it's it. This is over in a lot of ways. Yeah, right. Trump, no matter what happens, Trump wins. From like either he becomes president or he becomes Fall. the Trump brand quadrupled because everyone's been talking about him 24 hours a day for the last nine months. So for you know, I, and you sense that you know, you even he's even said a couple times he's like, yeah, I started out just kind of running to like to try to you know put my profile up a little bit, but hey, I'm winning, I'll be doing. And uh, you know, I think that I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And there is, I think, a lot of truth to that. I and no matter what happens, Trump has. I think that Time Magazine cover had it right last week. Like Trump has won. Like he, he may not get the vote, he may not become president, or not, but he has won in a way that uh, that you know. I Buzzfeed, I uh, forget the writer for Buzzfeed, but uh, about two years ago did a, a profile. Forgive me, I did a profile of Trump where he was like, and where they wrote on Trump's plane, and he was around all of Trump's yes men, and he painted it, I thought, pretty accurately. It's kind of because it was kind of a sad, pathetic figure. It's kind of like aging man. Who remember people forget how old Trump is? He's actually a pretty old man, um, and he's this aging figure surrounded by sycophants, uh, hopping from one de- decrepit Florida golf course to another, and just really painted him as a sad man. And I and I really think like, wow, you're right. What, how, how ridiculous we were about caring about this guy. And you know, six months later, uh, here he is uh, running everything, uh, when it, uh, possibly becoming the next president. So it's an amazing thing, and uh, a guy that can pull that off—he's—he's—he may be making this up, but he's not an idiot. We're talking about the authenticity factor uh, as it relates to Trump and uh, how it does not apply to Hillary Clinton. Is—is is the authenticity factor a reason 
Bernie Sanders is up in the polls? I think so. I think so. And also, you know, the listen, Clinton had the same problem and that Bill Clinton had the same problem in that, you know, Jerry Brown for a while kind of ate into his support. You know, there was a time people kind of forgot that now. But, you know, the, when you are someone like a Clinton, you are always going to have people on your left being like, come on, why aren't you doing more about Wall Street? Come on, why didn't you do, why didn't Bill do more uh, uh, to help uh, help in Darfur? Why, why didn't, um, you know, why, why, why did he not do more to stop the AIDS crisis? And, uh, and a lot of those things. So like, there's always going to be people to the left and Hillary, because, you know, she, the Clintons have always kind of been that. You know, the people that like, you know, the the, the people that like Hillary are generally, generally be not to be the far left Democrats in a lot of ways, which is funny because if you really look at the policies between Hillary and Sanders, they're not that dramatically different. They're just about the way that they're said. Like, they're, you know, they're, they're spoken, they're, they're like even, they're fighting over gun control right now, like, which is, which is an uh, awesome Hillary thing to do. Like, that is ex- as a total Bill Clinton move. It takes someone that is seen to the left of you and is hitting you from the left and say, and point out that you are, that claim that they're not far left enough, as left as you are. It's a total, like, triangulation backwards uh, bank shot that has worked, frankly, in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, to say that the, the idea that Bernie Sanders is, somehow in in the pocket of the NRA is, is ludicrous. But that's a total, like, but it's stuck a little bit uh, because, because the Clintons are really good politicians. So um, I think that, I also think a lot of it, frankly, was, I, I find, I, I like Bernie Sanders. I think he's an interesting person. I think he brought up some interesting things uh, in, in this race. He is going to do better in Iowa and New Hampshire than he's going to do anywhere else. <laughs> like, it is a quirk, when you talk about the quirks of the calendar, you know, Sanders' goal all along was to do really well uh, in these first two states and hope that Hillary screws up. Mm. And and right and I think that that first one may well come through. I I still I bet she went through him. She might not win Iowa though. I wouldn't be surprised. But I bet she went through him. I don't see Sanders winning both of these. But even if he does, like Hillary is just not worried. <laughs> like she she's not worried in the way that Obama wasn't worried like halfway through and it was obviously he was going to get the he, he was going to run out the clock on the delegate uh, on on the delegate and the super delegate it, it was it, like he's she's ahead everywhere other than like those two or three states and yeah i think now if there's a worry for democrats it's the fact that you know he does do sometimes better in general elections against those republicans than she does because she is for someone that's so centrist, she's obviously a very polarizing figure uh, for someone that doesn't really have that extreme of views. Uh, so I think that could end up hurting her. That's, that's been the fear all along. You know, New York Magazine wrote a great cover piece, not written by me, a great cover story uh, when, she, right when she announced with this idea that, you know, everyone is – that she's now the great hope for Democrats. You know, she's the next great figure, but she, people aren't particularly inspired by her. She's not a natural – public speaker and a public politician she's awkward on television she 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 seems she's very she's always very prepared but i think that sometimes that's something that runs people the wrong way as well uh for i think for reasons i think sometimes border on sexist to be honest but but i do think there's something to that and so uh you know i think that uh but hillary is an incredibly strong candidate and i think that i think that gets lost in her weaknesses and I think that gets lost in in the idea that everybody's got a relative, usually a female relative, who right. hates her. Like everybody has one. Everybody has one. I th- and I think that there's I think there's some I think because passion against her runs so strong, I think her skills and power 
as a candidate and just how much she already has lined up and how much people will fall in line. Uh, I think that Sanders, people, I think a lot of people will hope Sanders will push her to the left on a couple of things, but she hasn't, she hasn't, not really. Um, because she's so, she's so skilled at this. So if I'm a Hillary Clinton supporter, even if, even I, I feel like there's a sense that people are looking for a reason to, to uh, say that that's a closer race than it is. But I, 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 I just don't think it is. This is that you've seen some uh, par- people try to make parallels to, uh, to, to Obama eight years ago. Cause people thought Hillary was, was this deadlock, uh, this lock cold, uh, Cold lock, lock cool, Coors Light, cold hard, cold, stone lock, cold lock, lock, lock the or whatever. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, the lock of the week. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I'm sorry. Exactly. I'm really. I I, I got Mark Schleyer <laughs> there for a moment. Uh, but I I, I I do think that uh, people thought she was locked in too, and then Obama came and clearly showed that she wasn't. I I, I people try to make that parallel with Sanders. I'll be honest with you. I just I just don't see it. He's Sanders is not as general, naturally skilled a politician. Uh, I don't think he. I think his views are with the na- the national mood, but I'm not sure the way his rhetoric is. And you know, you talk to you, you, Sanders will be interviewed, and he'll say, and they're, they're like, well, how will you buy, How will you take down Wall Street? How will you get this change uh, that you'll come in and, uh, to, and you know get them to? How will you get things moving if you're Bernie Sanders when you're in the White House? He says, we will build a revolution of people of change that will all come up and we will all together change the system. And I'm sorry, man, but like I don't think Democrats are hearing that after eight years. Like I just don't. Like I think that that might work in a Republican primary, which I think is one of the reasons that people make the connection between Sanders and Trump supporters. They're both talking about changing the system in a lot of ways. But, you know, Democrats voted to change the system eight years ago, and uh, I don't know if they will buy that anymore. No, I think that's a great point. And I also think that eight years ago, there were a lot of other factors at play in terms of Obama seemed to herald a generational divide. You know, here's a new, here's a candidate for uh, a millennial generation that might be reaching voting age. He had uh, pop cultural appeal in a way that, I'm not just talking about race, but in a way that, like, there was an enthusiasm between the celebrities and the other people who were just starting to find influence on social media. It seemed like there were a lot of factors that I I remember thinking, there's no way Obama is going to surpass Hillary. And once that wave kind of, you know, reached a certain peak, it it just, it it ran away, like, in a way that I, I can't imagine Bernie's camp getting that much momentum um, to to pull this off long term. Yeah, I, I, and, and I agree. And Hillary, I mean, also, frankly, Hillary's a stronger candidate than she was eight years ago. But another thing to remember, like John Edwards was in that race eight years ago right. and really wasn't doing terribly. You know, I think, you know, this is uh, imagine if Martin O'Malley would have caught on. Then maybe there's a worry for Hillary, but she did. Martin O'Malley, like it looks like he's been running to be her vice president the whole time anyway. Right. So, you know, I think that there, there may be something to that, but, uh, uh, I just think she's a lot stronger candidate. She's got a lot more set up. She understands, you know, she like, like the Yankees <laughs> or like, uh, uh, you know, or, or like empire, or like Nick Saban, you know, they have taken, they, they are an empire figure who have taken the insurgent strategies and morphed them into their own. And I think that she's not going to be caught surprised by that delegate stuff this time. And uh, I just, I just, I don't see it. Well, do you like, do you like following politics as 
you know, clearly you're going to be writing about it for Bloomberg. So it's, you know, I think people might listen to this and think, oh, this is an interesting conversation with someone who is going to be paid to cover the campaign. But would you consider yourself a political junkie in the same way that even if no one was paying you, would you just be following this day in, day out? Oh, yeah, I get really obsessed with these. And, and honestly, like, I, I don't know if I'm any good as a political reporter. I've no, been I, I think, I think uh, your work's I, been very yeah. good, not to, not to the fluffy here on the air, but I, mean, no. I, I really liked your piece about the Michael Bayification of political ads, and I think yeah. you, just, the, just the analysis there of, of watch this, this is, this is sh- the shifting the narrative to not just the, the nonstop camera that won't sit in one spot <laughs> a la you know, Michael Bay movies, but this is the repositioning of oh, the world is going to shit, but this candidate is going to fix it for this one issue. I mean, I think you're, you're blending the cultural criticism aspect that people know you for um, you know, with the campaign in ways that are effective, at least in my opinion. So. It's like, you got no, one we'll, vote, we'll say, Thank you. But I, <laughs> oh, good. Well, good. Please, please address all of, your, all of these thoughts to Michael Bloomberg on Lexington Avenue in uh, <laughs> New York right. City. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll say that uh, like, I don't, like, you know, this is something – one of the reasons, one of these, I, I like your show and I like the idea of it is it's always really baffled me, the idea of stick to anything. You know, the, I, 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 I kind of accidentally got into sports and, and had interest in, I've had interest in politics and film as long as I've had interest in sports. In fact, the sports was the thing I didn't want to write about because, you know, it was, I wanted it to be purely fun. Yeah, right. <laughs> and sometimes, as you may know, sometimes sports uh, becomes uh, something other than that. So, you know, for me, this is I, I, I approach this with a little bit of trepidation because I have so much fun with this. I've, I've, I am the honestly, when I was uh, 12, 13 years old, I was tracking the 88 uh, Dukakis Bush race like uh, on election night, like with a with a little piece of paper and, and, and writing it down. Like I really loved this stuff in a way that I have my own political beliefs. And, and uh, but I don't know if they're um, relevant to covering a campaign. I know that's somewhat a controversial notion for a lot of people. I think a lot of people believe that they don't like that about political reporting. They think that they, and I, and I understand it. I understand the idea that uh, one side says, and then other said, says, side says, so we're balanced. Like that's not always true. Uh, no, and so, yeah. and I certainly understand that, but I also think that, uh, uh, and it comes back to the question you said at the beginning, uh, you know, is, is there a fear of these things not being able to get about substance? I think the substance is, Baked in, you know, and I I do think that, you know, it, it's weird of, it's weird to hear people criticize political reporters for saying, well, they're only concentrating on how they're going to get elected and not about the issues. But like, sorry, but like that's not, <laughs> like the the the, the elected, these things are inextricably tied to one another. Every move they make on any issue, whether they believe strongly in it or not, it's all political related. You have to win, <laughs> and, and and the way that people do it, and the way that they message that, and the way that they that uh, the and the way they would put themselves through this ridiculous process, it's just a fascinating thing to 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 be a part of. So yeah, I I consider even while i am getting paid to write about politics this year i consider myself more of a political junkie right now than i consider myself a particular i know all i know is i'm better at being a political junkie than i am being a political reporter i'm trying to get better at the reporting but uh uh for me this is just something in the same way that frankly to hark back uh, to, to the, how i kind of got started in all this you know i the, uh, one of the founding principles of Deadspin is that I really don't know anything more about this stuff than you guys do. And it felt like there was so much sports writing that was, listen to me, uh, here is my opinion, here is my strong thought, react. And 
and it's just I just never like that seems like it's such a weird way to do it. And, and the whole idea of Desmond was was I'm an idiot just like you. I just really like this stuff. Let's just, let's let's have some fun and talk about it. And so you don't me, like Skip Bayless you know, I, either. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, yeah, no, that's correct. I don't. Uh, and I, I don't. I don't know Skip Bayless personally, but I do know that. You know, I, I hate that. It feels like cheating. It feels cheap to do that. You know, it's cheapy. It's wrestling terms like cheap pop. You know, uh, and uh, you know, I don't like. I, I, I don't like this. You can turn everything into a stupid. You are right. No, you're not. You're wrong, Jane. You're ignorant slut. Like I hate that, and I and I and I wanted that not to be as part of a sport, much of sports as it seemed it was everywhere. And uh, and I find, and frankly, politics has a ton of that too. So for me, that's that's what's fun to uh, to to write about. You know, I don't understand. I think I it's I don't understand. There are like literally billions and billions of people uh, on the planet and every single one of them is has entirely different thoughts on every single on so many little things than everybody else but for some reason anytime that anyone works in a field of, of, of public expression they feel like they have to say every they have to say their opinions as if it is settled fact and if right. you disagree with them you are wrong as if the idea that like listen I'm you and I could talk about this uh, we could all we could all talk about this stuff for three or three hours I, I could I could agree with you uh, you can we can you and I have so many different similar views and everything, but we're going to be different on literally millions of things. You are a different person than I am, so therefore you're going to have different views. So for me, I try to approach anything, whether it's movies or whether it's sports or, or politics, right from the idea that like, listen, I'm just working this stuff through like you guys are. Uh, here's something I've noticed. Here's something I think is kind of interesting. Uh, but I may not be right about this because I'm just one human and there are billions of us. And so that's the way I try to approach it. And I, I, I tend to have more fun that way than just, just kind of lobbing bombs. Well, this is an interesting question because you talk about the analysis of sports, and I feel it's probably the same with politics. I think what we like about our, our podcast is that we do make people think and that there are areas of gray on a lot of topics, which I think is what you strive for in your everyday work. But do you find that the average reader or viewer is still looking to be affirmed more than they're looking to truly have to do any critical thought about a particular topic? I think most people have other things to do. <laughs> I think that mo most people don't think about this stuff as much as, uh, as I do because it's, you know, it's my job to think about it, you know. So I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think that people are stupid and I don't actually think they're bad. I don't like, you know, I think I've ongoing, you know, I've worked on the internet for so long and as you may or may not have seen, uh, I have sometimes been uh, put uh, against my will as a representative of the internet in a way that I'd rather not be. Uh, so, you know, I think that uh, I, I've talked about the internet and I've thought about the internet, obsessed with how the internet helps us communicate uh, for a long time. And, I, I think that people have this idea that if you when you go on the internet, people are yelling at you or or and listen, I get it. Anytime I put anything on Twitter, someone yells at me. Someone calls me a jerk. Someone someone uh, uh, tells me to stick to sports or stick to Paul. But uh, some, I, I enjoyed that someone. Uh, uh, I got a comment from a political piece saying uh, to stick to politics when I mentioned something about sports. So I guess that's good. I guess it's all coming full circle. <laughs> yes, that is uh, that is full circle right there. We get trolled by someone going saying going back to sports. It's like I made it. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but, you know, I do think that there is – I don't think the Internet's a bad place. I, I just don't. And, and I think bad things happen on the Internet. But I don't think that the – like, it, I think the Internet is 
a distortion of the way that people actually are, as opposed to actually being a physical representation. Because if you walked, if if people were like in real life the way they were on the internet, we would never stop stabbing each other in the face. You know, I think that there's something to, uh, and so for me, I'm never, I, I'm not, you know, the idea that I'm gonna, I, I, I'm gonna write something and just millions of people are gonna be like, oh my gosh, he's right. I never thought about that much before. I'm realistic. There's no notion of that. What I can do is just try to give everyone, uh, give this a, a, a fair hearing uh, across the board. And if, you know, and I just don't think that my personal beliefs on things are that relevant. I like, I just don't. And uh, and and I and, and of course, every every piece anyone writes is gonna have an inherent bias to it because they're the one that wrote it. But, you know, I. I do believe that there are more people that want to think about these things in a serious fashion than it might seem on the internet. Or uh, I, I, I know a lot of writers that will work a really hard time on a piece, and then someone will uh, uh, on the co- in the comments under it, hammer him for it, and it'll ruin their day. And they'll wish they hadn't written the piece. And I just don't understand that. Like there are. You know, there's, what's the old TV idea that, that you know, you, one uh, one positive call to the switchboard equals a hundred angry calls to the switchboard. The idea, you know, it's easy to just, I hate it, that's stupid. I don't think it means that person's a terrible person. I don't think it means that the person, that what you wrote was stupid. It's just, it's just people saying stuff because they're not thinking about it as much as you are. And they don't care because they have other things to do because they're busy because life is hard. So, you know, I, I try to keep that in mind with anything I write and, you know, hopefully, I'm, I find myself less trying to convince people that I am right as much as I am trying to make a case for something that, uh, uh, in a way that hopefully uh, people can either agree with or disagree with to at least understand where I'm coming from. Well, well, speaking of being right, we're coming to the end of our time here, and we <clears throat> we understand how athletes have to go through those obnoxious aptitude tests like the Wonderlick. So we always ask people five questions about what they like. We call it our Wonderlike. Uh, I know you're you do you do trivia to to. <laughs> to people you interview. Mm-hmm. So we're going to give you five questions. These are statements made by politicians. We're just going to ask you who said it. Okay. You think I think I'm you're going to I think you're going to kill this cuz I I I, no, I know see, no, Don't say it. That that that's like me I'm 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 aiming up a shot in pool and you're like, "Oh." <laughs> I also think you're going to go 5 for 5, but here we go. All right. Number 1. Okay. I don't have a height issue. I don't have a height issue. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't have a height issue. That's a good. Uh, Am I, I don't getting know the inflection answer. on that. Correct? I th- yeah, height issue. Uh, we led strong. I don't well, have don't, a height issue. We're, we're we're coming strong. This is not going to be easy. This is why Vince Young <laughs> yeah, got like a. Fi- this is why Vince Young got like a five on the Wonder League. <laughs> <laughs> let's see i don't have a height issue okay let me just use con let me just think about that for a moment let me go with who is someone that was short to caucus uh this is recent it is jeb bush taking a jab at mark rubio oh rubio. right 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 oh because yeah. of the shoes yeah right, and these the are shoes. all these are all gonna I be from say, this election I, cycle okay i ignore i can i say something i ignored the shoe story I totally ignored the shoe story. And this is a problem that I have in sports. I do this a lot too. Like I didn't pay attention to the slate gate until it was like five months old because I have a really hard time getting myself invested in stories I think are stupid. You didn't miss much. You did not miss much. Yeah. And that's very – I I find it's frankly a little arrogant and I feel kind of guilty about it. So I just can't – 
pretend there are certain stories my editors that will come out my editors will be like what well, do you have anything and i was like oh please no don't, I, don't make me write about the flaky but i don't think make you me write about rubio's shoes i think that's you hit it on the head you can only think about so much right <laughs> so, yeah that's true. That's true. For there are certain things i'm like yeah i can't i can't i can't do anything with the shoes. well dukakis was like, a good, that's something i should have done dukakis was a good guess uh, all right so over one but we got number two coming up uh number two i'm the worst thing that's ever happened to isis Oh, that, that, that is that is uh, that that is to its core to the point that yes. if it's not uh, if it's not Trump that said it, uh, I'll know he has completely taken over this entire race. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, this is my favorite number three. My own personal theory is that Joseph built the pyramids to store grain. <laughs> okay, that is one of those great Ben Carson classics. That <laughs> yeah. is a that is uh, Ben Carson is, is going to be out of this race pretty soon, and it's a shame. I I miss that I miss that little period where he was saying crazy because yeah, I, I I have to say of all the the candidate impersonations that have come out this year, uh, <laughs> um, Saturday Night Live impersonation of uh, of uh, what's the name, what's the name of the guy that does the impersonation of uh, of um Jay of, uh, Ben Carson. I Jay Farrow, yeah. thank you. Uh, his, it's terrific. It's an absolute. It's actually an original. Like it's not actually impersonation. It is like Dana Carvey's old impersonations were. And they right. were kind. They took a little thing that was kind of interesting about the person and exaggerated it to say something kind of profound about them. And uh, I thought that was. I, is it, that is my favorite of all the impressions it, uh, of all the candidates. That's a really good one. So that was definitely Ben Carson. By the way, he's a doctor who doesn't believe in evolution. Is that possible? Yeah. Oh, I think I think I think you'll find he's not. You know, the doctor is not a scientist. You know, a doctor True, is. Right. I think you'll find a lot of people that believe that. To be honest, I think you'll find a lot of doctors. You know, and and I they certainly will believe in. You know, uh, I find. You know, I'm I'm from a small town where I'm frankly, it's a, and I now live in the south. Like you know, there it's a these are more Christian communities than uh, than I lived in New York, and I think that, you know, I think the general. Uh, philosophy on a lot of this stuff is like the old uh, priest to the boxer. You know, uh, when they when he goes in to give uh, when Carson goes in to give a surgery, you know he'll pray for you. But you know, if if you can box, it'll help. And I think that like <laughs> I think that that is I think that is uh, no, when it comes for, to Carson, I think that he he may not believe uh, uh, he may not believe in evolution, but he understands that he that he understands that, that God's not going to make a cut for you. Well, guys, my doctor said something similar at my annual bleeding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, my bloodletting. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good. No, uh, uh, yeah, ben, yeah, Car- we, ben Carson will be missed when he is exiting the campaign. That's for sure. Sorry for the. That reminds me of another, Forgive me. Go forgive ahead. me one more thing. That reminds me. Forgive me one more one more anecdote. But that reminds me. Uh, the late Andy Rooney, who's actually one of my favorite writers, uh, had this great thing where he wrote about how he he took had a vacation house with a doctor and he had to leave because, you know, it was his doctor. It was his doctor. It's the guy that, 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 that took care of him, but he would realize that like the doctor couldn't change a tire or like kept like trying to <laughs> right. open locked door, push pull doors. He's like, wow. Like you don't want to know. You just want to assume your doctor is omnipotent and all knowing and not an idiot like the rest of us. Right. <laughs> uh, getting back to the wonder, like number four, the quote is thank you. Good night. And may the force be with you. Oh, uh, that's Obama. That's a, that was, that was, no, no, that's not Obama. That was, he said the thing about Star Wars. That's right. I, I got those confused. Obama said he was leaving to go see Star Wars. Uh, thank you, good night. May the force be with you. 
Uh, uh, You're in the neighborhood. Let's go Rubio. Let's it's, go Rubio. It was Hillary. 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 I think I think she closed out one of the debates with that right before. Yeah, right I think she did. I think you're. Yeah, you're right. I think you're right. I can, I, I gotta tell you, even as a professional, I have a hard time making it to the end. Of oh, this I know. Debate. The reason we're doing Democrat- we went this way because you're inundated with with quotes. I figured this would be the best like the best thing to trip you up because you're you're sifting through this stuff all day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the Democratic plus the Democratic debates, like the, the ongoing joke is the Democratic debates. Eventually, one's gonna be at like three thirty in the morning. Uh, like uh, like it's unbelievable. Like they they if you have any doubt, one thing that Sanders is totally right about is that the DNC wants him out and wants Hillary not to be challenged in yeah. any way, shape, or form because they be making this debate. But like you know, there's another one in like a week, and like nobody knows about it, nobody cares. Oh no, I didn't uh, know. It, yeah, so they they they're they're hiding this as much as they can. It'll be like an AMA where they just invite the anchors to like you know send them some notes, and and that'll be that. <laughs> they are inventing I mean, ESPN the Ocho for yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not. We are not far from uh, from from Chris Berman hosting one of these. So you got two, you two two questions right, two questions wrong. This is the last question. Chance to go over the Mendoza line or, or under? Will I believe in you? Mm. You can do this. All right. Nicole. I'm above the Mendoza line. Even if I miss, I'm Ted Williams. Man. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you're, you're touche. That was a really. I can't believe I made a terrible baseball statistical analogy to will leach that's a for shame it's called just not sports for yeah i'm a cubs fan so i just like i just like me some dingers (laughs) all right the quote is i don't know how to break this to you let me start over i don't know how to break this to you donald trump has discovered that women go to the bathroom and it's been very upsetting for him Okay, I think I I think that is also I think that I think that's uh, I think that's also Hillary. It's Bernie. It's the burn. <laughs> the burn did it at some event. Put it on Twitter. But you're still te- you're still Ted Williams. <laughs> I'm still Ted Williams. Well, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, that, it's funny. That, that, that's another thing I'm really bad at. I'm really bad at movie quotes. I can tell you who directed every movie. I can tell you like 15 people who starred in it. But I can never remember character names or quotes. And, uh, and now we're uh, and now we're two for five. See, don't ever predict me to go five for five again. I t- I totally <laughs> bent young that. I we'll, really did. We'll edit that out. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> well, well, we clearly your passion. This is exactly what we were hoping for. Your passion runs so deep and so authentically. Just to end it, real quick, just speed round here. Who's running running non-Trump? Because I don't think he's really running a campaign, as you mentioned. Who's running the best campaign? Oh, I don't think there's any question. It's Cruz. Cruz is. Yeah, he has he's boxed everybody in uh, at every opportunity. You know, he's done everything right. You know, he's he's uh, he he handled Trump uh, in the exact right way. Uh, he put Rubio. Uh, Rubio was really his challenger in a lot of ways. And now he's in a situation where uh, the longer Trump stays in, the better off he is as long as Trump doesn't actually win. <laughs> and it, it, it leads me up to my it leads me to I have this ongoing uh, Russian roulette theory of Trump that I developed right after he took, took the first lead, which is it's really fun to like talk about Trump at the beginning because he's not going to win. He's not going to win. If you have an unloaded gun, you feel very comfortable with that gun because you're not going off because there's no bullets in it. But once he gets up to like a 16% chance of winning, you need to start maybe being a little bit more careful with the gun, <laughs> be right. a little bit more and little, just know that like it's probably not going off. But now that you have a gun with one bullet, let's be a little bit more careful. 
and uh, now I think there are maybe two <laughs> in the gun. And uh, if it gets nomination, then there's three, and then maybe four, and then then uh, it's maybe time to put the gun away. Uh, so I think Cruz has, uh, without question, particularly for a guy who is hated by everyone that's ever worked with him. <laughs> there's there is a uh, there is a great quote, and I'm uh, we can close with this because uh, I want to find. Uh, I want to find this. They, they interviewed a, uh, a Ted Cruz's roommate. They interviewed uh, Ted Cruz's roommate uh, from college. And let's see, what did he say? This is my favorite quote from Craig Mason, Ted Cruz's college roommate. And you know, I want to be clear because Ted Cruz is a nightmare of a human being. I have plenty <laughs> of problems with his politics. I have plenty of po- problems with his politics. But truthfully, his personality is so awful that 99% of why I ate him is just his personality. If he agreed with me on if he agreed with me on every issue, I would hate him only one percent less. <laughs> well, it's like Obama said: most world leaders are crazy too. So maybe we just need to send a crazo out there. It's like just go ahead and elect Vontez Perfect and unleash him onto the world, right? <laughs> it's really amazing. And that, to me, that speaks to how good of a politician that Ted Cruz is. Is everybody that's ever worked with him in any fashion, Republicans, Democrats, senators, people he went to college with, everybody cannot stand him. And right now he's the favorite to win Iowa. And frankly, at this point, if it's not Trump, uh, it's him or Rubio. And it's yeah. really kind of amazing how he outflanked everyone, even though nobody likes him. Yeah, well, it's like Robert McNamara said, you, you cannot – expect our world leaders to be rational people and uh and we don't and so but it is it is fascinating to watch will thank you so much for coming on we really really appreciate it um and uh we will be following all your political coverage on bloomberg throughout the campaign i want to encourage people to go check you out sports on earth uh very just i love your writing on sports you mentioned um the history of deadspin and just your angle toward it always felt like you gave measured measured um sports takes minus the uh uh the the craziness that we see every day and, that, and that's what this show is all about it's like cutting through the the um the sort of uh prepackaged insanity and just getting to uh what people actually like talking about so uh and they can follow you william f leach i believe on twitter is the twitter handle so um it, the f is 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 in there correct Yes, yes, okay. Franklin, William, yeah. uh, William, William Franklin Leach. Uh, oh. there's, there's a poor Scottish, uh, there's a poor, poor guy that works for BBC Northern Ireland who's at Will Leach, and uh, every single time that the Cardinals <laughs> do something in the playoffs, he gets yelled at. <laughs> I would have hated to be that guy on like the the week that. Um... You know the Buzz Bissinger stuff happened. You know, <laughs> poor, poor oh, yeah. dude. I feel. I think. I think it's worse. For, I think honestly, anytime the Cardinals do anything anymore, <laughs> yeah, it's just he's trolls. Just, he's just like. I, I. I think at one point he actually had. I do not follow American baseball <laughs> in his bio. <laughs> People are constantly yelling at him during the playoffs. Well, uh, thank you, Will, for joining us again, and uh, for the listeners, we'll be right back. All right, that's our show for today. Thank you to all of our listeners. In the words of Chris Cluey, the NFL punter responsible for our theme song, you are beautiful, unique, sparkle ponies to us. Please continue to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at JustNotSports. Email us tips, thoughts, topics, invites, 
compliments toward Adam, anything you want. <laughs> Justnotsports at gmail.com. Let's end with some shout-outs. I'm going to give a shout-out to Will Leach. Uh, just a really great, passionate interview. That's what this show is all about. I want to go deep with someone who um, you know, is known for, for their, what their thoughts on sports are but really wants to dive into what their thoughts on something else are. And Will did that today. It was an hour long. It was great. And really uh, a guy who talked in a positive way about politics and political analysis, which you don't hear too often. So it it made me a little bit more interested in political news, which quite frankly have been uh, soured by some of the other analysts out there. But I may uh, at very least follow Will. Um, I'd like to give a shout out. Uh, to my usual group of friends, these guys have meant a lot to me over the years, um, and I appreciate their support on this podcast. Of course, I'm talking about my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, the legend, Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mac, and last but certainly not least. <laughs> My other cousin, Ron. Not least. Other cousin, Ron. Yeah. In the house. I love those guys. Thank you for all that you do. And in the words of Shaq, in the song, I Know I Got Skills, booty rappers, stay booty. Together right now. Everybody.